Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. One thousand four hundred and forty minutes and eighty six thousand four hundred seconds. That's how much time you have in a single day. Twenty four hours. 1,440 minutes and 86,400 seconds. 400, 399, 398, 397, 396. That's how much time you have in a single day. What do you do with the time that you've been given? How do you live your life? How do you live your day? Because the truth is, is that every single day that we have, it really is a gift from God. And that it's our opportunity, it's our responsibility to be able to save it, to be able to spend it, to be able to steward it, to be able to invest it, and not to waste it, because every day truly is a gift from the Lord. And so what do you do? How do you live? How do you spend the time that you have been given? How do you spend your day? If you got your Bibles, turn with you to Mark chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 35, and we are going to continue our study through the Gospel of Mark where we're taking the better part of two years and we're walking verse by verse, line by line through the gospel of Mark. We're calling it the simple gospel and we're seeing who Jesus is, what Jesus does and how Jesus lives his life. And the big idea today is this, that we're gonna spend an entire day in the life of Jesus, 24 hours, 1,440 minutes and 86,400 seconds, walking in the footsteps following the day of Jesus. And what I want you to do is I want you to see Jesus' life and then I want you to apply it to your life. Because the Christian life is not meant just to be studied, okay, but it's to be experienced. That Jesus' life is not just to be admired, but it's for us to experience. So I want you to use this as a template, a guide, and a model to see how Jesus spends his day because this is the same exact way that we need to also be spending our day. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 35, and we're going to spend a day in the life of Jesus. And the first thing that Jesus does is he starts his day with prayer. Verse 35, and rising very early in the morning. Okay, how early? He says very early. Okay, not, you know, he didn't hit the snooze button three times. Okay, he didn't wake up at lunch or at the crack of dinner. He says he wakes up very early. How early is very early? While it was still dark. Okay, just so you know, that's early. Okay, if you can get up before the sun, okay, then you know that, that that's, that's pretty early. And so what does Jesus do? He wakes up early and then he departed and he went out into the desolate place and there he prayed. So Jesus, he starts his day with prayer. Okay, now some of you, you're thinking, of course Jesus started his day with prayer. He's Jesus. Obviously, Jesus is going to start his day with prayer because that's surely what Jesus would do. But me, I don't know if you noticed this, I'm not Jesus. And so I can't start my day with prayer because my life is so crazy. My life is so hectic. It's chaotic. Everything is busy and difficult. I cannot start my day with prayer. Some of you, you are single. So, you know, you, you stay up, you're in college, you stay up all night writing term papers, chem finals. Others of you, you wait tables, and so you were working till two o'clock in the morning, and so you think, how am I going to wake up in the morning? How am I going to get up early? That's probably not going to happen. Others of you, you're married and you have kids, and so you know the routine of a busy life, that you wake up, and if you can get up just five minutes before the kids do, you're doing good. 
that if you can just get five minutes before the kids, then you can reheat coffee from yesterday from the microwave, and you can have at least a lukewarm cup before the kids get up, and then you step on a Lego, you say a word you shouldn't say, the kids wake up, and then all of a sudden, chaos ensues, so you got to make them breakfast. No, you don't eat breakfast, no. You can't do that. You make the kids breakfast, and then you bring in the school, you miss lunch, and then you're late for work, and then you got to pick the kids back up, and then you come home, and then the house is a wreck, and you're like, oh Lord, somebody's got to clean this, and then you got to make dinner, then you got to feed the kids, then you got to give them a bath, and then somewhere after you put them to bed between 9 and 11 o'clock, you died. Okay, amen? That's just, that's just the way that it happens, that sometimes, you know, sometimes you just die. And, and that's how life feels. And you're like, I, I can't do this, right? Life is too complicated. Life is too difficult. I'm so tired. I'm so busy. Here's my question for you. Do you think that Jesus had a difficult life? Do you think that Jesus was ever tired? Do you think that Jesus ever got a little busy? Okay, now I would never want to say anything that would suggest that our Lord and Savior was anything less than perfect. But do you think that Jesus ever had a bad day? Do you think that Jesus ever got a little tired? Yes. Okay, because what we see so far in the Gospel of Mark is much of this series has really happened over the course of the week. Okay, we see that Jesus, he goes out into the wilderness. Okay, now I don't know if you've ever been in a wilderness, but that's probably a little tiring that he was in the wilderness. It's hot, it's scorching heat, he's exhausted, the sun's out, zapping his strength and his energy. At night, the temperatures get below freezing. Jesus is in the wilderness. Do you think he was probably a little tired? Oh yeah. And he says that while he was in the wilderness, he was there for 40 days and he was fasting. Okay, fasting for 40 days. Some of you, it's a stretch just to go 40 minutes. Okay, right now, 40 minutes without food, you're already looking at your watch. You're like, Byron, you need to wrap this up because, well, I'm, I'm hungry. And so, but Jesus, he goes 40 days without food or water, nourishment, substance, nothing. Do you think that's a little exhausting? Yes. And then to make matters worse, he's being attacked by Satan. Okay, yeah, Jesus is probably a little bit tired. And then he, he comes out of the wilderness and the first thing he does is he goes and he finds four fishermen and he says to follow me. And the first thing that Jesus does is he starts a community group. Okay, now if you're in a community group, go ahead. It's exhausting. Okay, sometimes our community groups, we love you, but you tend to be a little exhausting. The first thing Jesus does, he starts a community group and then he takes his friends to church and at church, Jesus preaches a sermon. And I'm not sure if you've ever preached or if you'll ever get the opportunity, but it's exhausting. Okay, research has shown that one sermon is the equivalent of an eight-hour workday. So yeah, it's, it's exhausting. So Jesus preaches. Does he get a break? No, because there's a guy with a demon in the synagogue. So Jesus, he has to, you know, this demonized man begins to manifest, and then Jesus has to cast out a demon, which is kind of complicated. It's sort of a big deal, and it's, it's a little tiring. And so Jesus, he casts out a demon after his sermon. Church is over. Does he get to go home and take a nap? No, right? Because Peter's mother-in-law is sick, and now he's got to heal her. And so that's more energy and more strength leaving from Jesus' body. And afterwards, what does Jesus do? I'll tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't sit on the couch, watch Netflix, and drink sleepy time tea. Okay, that's not how Jesus closes out his night. Because word gets out that Jesus can heal, and that Jesus performs miracles, and that Jesus is in town, and he's casting out demons. And so all of a sudden, the whole city, the whole city comes to 
his house and starts banging on the door. Jesus, let me in. Knock, knock. Jesus, where are you at? Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus, I hear that you can heal. Like, I, need, I need to be healed. Oh, I need a miracle. Oh, this guy's got a demon. Jesus, you need to do something about it. Jesus, I have a question. Jesus, I have a problem. Jesus, I have a hangnail. Jesus, you know, come fix me. Come do this for me. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's Jesus' life. Okay, and let me just tell you this. People are exhausting. Okay, I don't know if you know this or not, but people are exhausting. And so Jesus, he closes his night by staying up and he loves and cares and serves and he heals the entire crowd. Okay, that's Jesus' day. Now, let me just be honest with you. Okay, people, people are exhausting. Oh, not you people, just people in general. People are exhausting. Occasionally, you get good news, but most of the time, it's pain, it's problems, it's hurts, it's hardships, it's doubt, it's difficulties, and you just receive so many prayer requests. You're like, yeah, sure, go ahead. Give me your prayer request because I'm going to just bring it to Jesus personally because I'm going to die and go see him. And that's how people feel all the time. And and you want to love and you want to care and you want to serve as many people as possible. But let's just be honest, sometimes people are exhausting. This is where Jesus is at. That all of his life, he's had people pushing and pulling and making demands and making requests of him. And so what does Jesus do when he is tired? It says that he he gets up and he goes and prays. Okay, here's what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to sleep in. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to hit the snooze button one time, two times, three times. Jesus doesn't say, you know what? Today I don't feel like being Jesus. I think I'm going to be Larry. Because Larry, he can sleep in. Larry, right, you know, he he drives a bread truck. Larry, he owns a boat. That must be nice. I'm going to be, I don't want to be Jesus today. I'm going to be Larry. Nope, that's not what Jesus does. That Jesus is stressed. Jesus is tired. Jesus is empty. And so what he does is he makes time to get time alone with the Lord and he spends time with prayer. That Jesus is saying that my day is so busy that I don't have time not to pray. And Jesus starts his day with prayer. And what we see that Jesus is doing here is he's practicing what we call spiritual disciplines. Okay, so let me teach you a little bit about spiritual disciplines. These are the source of Jesus's strength. Now, in the same way that there are disciplines for you to have a healthy body, like diet and exercise, eating right, working out, there are also disciplines for you to have a healthy soul to have a healthy spirit. And so what Jesus is doing is he begins to practice these spiritual disciplines. And there's two forms of disciplines. There's the outward disciplines, and then there is the inward disciplines. The outward disciplines are things like worship, community, mission, serving, and prayer. Okay, so for worship. Now by worship, I don't mean singing songs to Jesus in your car. Okay, that is a form of worship, but that's not what I'm talking about when I say worship. I'm talking about what we're doing right now. Okay, this is worship. Okay, this is the Sunday gathering, the corporate gathering of God's people to be in God's presence that we are worshiping right now. What you do on a Sunday morning when you get up and when you come to church is actually a spiritual discipline. That what you're doing as you sing congregational songs, as you sit under sound doctrine and biblical teachings, what you are doing right now is you are worshiping. This is a spiritual discipline. See, listen, God don't need church. You do. Okay, God doesn't need worship. Okay, he has angels that worship him 24-7. Okay, he said, the Bible says that if we don't worship him, the rocks will cry out. Okay, you need worship. 
because worship is a spiritual discipline. The second is community, okay? that God has created us to live in community, constant connection with other people, and this is the way that we are to live our lives. That you cannot be a Christian by yourself. Okay? You're going to need other people. You're not going to make it if you try to go at it alone. That's why the Bible says it is not good for man to be what? Alone. That you are not an island. You are not to live in isolation. You're going to need to surround yourself with other people outside of a Sunday gathering to do life with one another, to speak life into you, and then to apply the scriptures so that way you can follow Jesus in your everyday life. That's what we call living in community. And then the third we see is something like mission that all of our lives is to be intentionally invested in inviting other people into the kingdom of God. This is where we share our faith, we tell people our story, we tell people our testimony, that we live our lives as a witness at work or home, at college, at the coffee shops or the restaurants, that all of our life is to be lived on mission for the glory of God and for the service of others, that we are to live on mission by sharing our faith. And what I find so amazing is that the more I share my faith, guess what happens? I begin to grow in my faith. Anybody ever notice that? That's because it's a spiritual discipline. Okay, and then the fourth is serving. God has given you gifts and talents and abilities, and he wants you to begin to use those. And not to use them for yourself, okay, but so that way you can begin to serve others. And serving is a spiritual discipline. This is why we put such a heavy emphasis on serving at our church. Because the greatest thing that you can do to grow in your faith is to begin to serve other people. And some of you, you are amazing at serving. Some of you, you drive the truck, you drive the trailer, you unload everything, you're the first one here, you're the last one to leave, you set up, you tear down, you stack chairs, you greet in the parking lot, you shake hands, you pour coffee, you work with the kiddos, you play in the band, you make the food for the hangouts, you lead a community group. I mean, we have so many people serving in so many different areas. It is absolutely amazing. Some of you, you don't serve. And so what we're going to do is we're going to give you an opportunity to serve. And so if you hang out long enough, oh, trust me, you will begin to serve. You can't stay five minutes after a service without someone giving you a broom, a mop, or a chair and saying, get to work. Because we place a high value on serving because for us, it is a spiritual discipline. And then number five is something like prayer. And some of you, you are awesome at praying. You love to pray and you pray for everybody. You, you see a need, you meet a need, and you accomplish that through prayer. You're like, oh, you're sick? Let me pray for you because Jesus heals, and I believe that. And so you love to pray. You're like, oh, you need a miracle? Luckily, I know a guy who does miracles. I'll go talk to him for you. And so you go to Jesus because Jesus does miracles, and you love to pray. You always have a prophetic word, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, a word of encouragement, that you love to pray for others. You see the need, and then you meet it through prayer. And many of us, we live our lives with outward disciplines and praise God you're halfway there. A lot of us, we just live our lives focused on the outward disciplines. Work, work, work. Go, go, go. Do, do, do. That we have things to do. We got to get to work. We got to get a move on. That people are, people are hurting. People are suffering. People are dying. We need to plant churches. We need to send missionaries. We need to buy a building. We need to reach the lost. We need to evangelize. That there are people who are dying and going to hell. We need to do something. And yes, we do need to do something, but if all we do is everything, eventually we're going to burn out, flame out. Eventually we're going to get so tired and so, so exhausted that, that we're not going to be good for anything. And so while you're working on your outward disciplines, you also need to work on your inward disciplines. These are things like, like prayer. Okay? And by prayer, I don't mean prayer for others. 
Okay, I mean prayer for yourself. I don't mean public prayer. One of the inward disciplines is to have times of private prayer. That's exactly what Jesus is doing as he practices his inward disciplines. That much of Jesus' ministry has been sent or has been spent pouring himself out into the lives of others. That Jesus has been praying for other people and now Jesus, he retreats, he gets alone by himself and Jesus practices the inward discipline of praying. That's exactly what Jesus does as he starts his day with prayer. The second is meditation. Okay, now I grew up in the church. I spent my whole life as a Christian and nobody ever taught me about meditation. See, I was taught, no, 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 we're Christians. We don't meditate. Okay, that's what other religions do. As Christians, we pray. And then I started reading my Bible and then I was like, no, wait, Christians totally meditate. Jesus, he meditates. The psalmist, he says, on your law or word, I meditate day and night. Because meditation is a Christian discipline. But the way that Christians meditate and the way that the rest of the world meditates, it is different. See, religions like Hinduism and and, and Buddhism and Sikhism and other Eastern philosophies and religions, the way that they meditate is to empty themselves. So they want to be empty But Christians, we meditate not to be empty because we already are. We meditate so that way we can be filled back up. That we meditate on the Word of God so that way we can be filled with the Spirit of God. That's what Christian meditation is. And so you memorize a section of Scripture, you read over a section of Scripture, that you have a portion in your mind, and then you begin to think and you begin to pray and you begin to allow the Holy Spirit through the Word of God to be able to fill you back up. That's what meditation is. It's a spiritual discipline. And then number three is silence and solitude. Okay, sometimes you just have to get away. I mean, sometimes you have to get away from the pressures, the problems, from all of the people, and you just need to disconnect from everything, and you need to get a moment, you need to get a minute, and you just need to get away. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's practicing silence and solitude by going out into the desolate place. Do you know what's out in a desolate place? Nothing. There is nothing in the desolate place. And that's exactly where Jesus, that's where he goes when he needs to get alone with God. And he practices silence and solitude. And he says he gets up early, very early. That's like 5 a.m. Do you know who's awake at 5 a.m.? No one. No one but Jesus. And so when you get up at 5, guess who you're going to meet? You're going to meet, you're going to meet Jesus. And so when we get up at 5 a.m., you have your cup of coffee, right? You, you, you get a kitchen table, and it's just you and Jesus spending time with one another. That you need to be practicing the discipline of silence and solitude. We live in a day and age to where you are never alone. Okay, you are never alone. And what I find so amazing is that, is that we also tend to be the loneliest to people. Now, we're never alone, and we are so lonely, and that's because, thanks to the internet and social media and Facebook and Instagram, that that we have 5,000 friends in our pocket, that we are surrounded by other people, and it's all fake, that it's all just a sham, it's all just a facade, that no one's actually there, and no one actually cares. We are so connected to, to other people that we are no longer connected to God that it is an illusion of your isolation. And so what you need to do instead is practice regular times of silence and solitude. You need to turn your phone off. Okay, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a button on the side. If you hold it down long enough, eventually people can't text you. It's amazing how that works. 
there'll be no notifications because it's just not going to work. And it's a little button and hide it from you, but I guarantee you, if you look long enough, you will find it, that you can just turn your phone off. Okay, you can just, you can you know, delete the apps, you can get off of social media, you can get off of Facebook, you can get off of Instagram, you need to get off of Snapchat because nobody needs that. You can just get off and you don't have to do anything. You can just turn off the TV, you can turn off the news, you can tune out the noise, you can set the laptop on fire, and you can just have a personal prayer, private moment, just you and God practicing through the disciplines of silence and solitude. That is a spiritual discipline. It's something that we need to work on in our lives. Then number four is fasting. Now, I don't have enough time to get into all this today, but fasting will come up in a later sermon. So for now, let me just give you a, a little overview of what fasting is. Okay, fasting is when we starve the flesh so that way we can feed our spirit. That we starve our flesh so that way we can feed our spirit. Okay, all of our lives is just feeding our flesh. That's all that we do. That we just consume, we consume, that we just consume everything. Work, hobbies, interests, relationships, food, drink, social media, sitting on the couch, watching Netflix, going through the infinite scroll that is our lives is just feed, feed, feed our flesh. Okay, fasting is when you say to no to those things, and then you begin to feed your spirit. Now you begin to hunger for the Lord, and so you, you starve your flesh so you can hunger for the Lord, and then we begin to feed our spirit because that's what a spiritual discipline is. And what I've discovered is this, that what you feed grows. That if your whole life you are just feeding your flesh, guess what's going to happen? Well, your flesh is going to grow. That it's going to crowd you out, it's going to consume you, it's going to take your energy, your effort, your time, and it's just going to fill your entire calendar and your entire life. But if you begin to feed your spirit, guess what happens? Well, your spirit, it begins to grow. The reason why it grows is because it's a spiritual discipline. So there's fasting, and then the last one is Sabbath rest. Now, it should be a full day. Okay, You should take a full day to where you don't do anything. To where you just rest, you have fun, you relax, that you celebrate, you devote it to the Lord, you have time for prayer, and you just get to take a break. You should be able to find a full day. But I know that many of us, we can't do that. That due to work or due to kids or maybe college, that it's really hard for us to take a full day to just a Sabbath. Okay, but you should do what I call mini Sabbaths. Okay, these are regular mini moments throughout the day, throughout the week, maybe the month, that you just have a moment that you can practice a mini Sabbath. Okay, my life this week was absolutely insane. Okay, I mean, my life, you know, this week, it was just crazy. I mean, it was meeting, 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 that it was prayer over here, prayer over there. I'm in college, so I've been writing papers all week, and, you know, I have a test that I had to do, and then I have to work on my sermon. I have to preach over here. I have to preach a sermon. I'm meeting with lawyers and landlords, and I'm setting things up, and I'm moving things over here. And then Ashley's brother-in-law, they had their baby four weeks early, and so we had to spend the weekend in Houston at the hospital. I mean, my week was just absolutely insane. I thought, I'm done. I don't have anything left that I can give anymore. I mean, my brain was running 90 miles an hour, and then eventually it was like, Byron, we're, we're not going anywhere anymore. Uh, and so I just ran out of thoughts. Like, I could not even think. 
And so I picked up the phone. I called my wife. I said, babe, um, I'm coming home early. I'm going to take the rest of the day off. And I want you just to blow up the inflatable kiddie pool, put Esther in her bathing suit, fill it up with water. And then we're just going to sit outside and we're just going to swim in the little kiddie pool. We're going to order pizza, takeout. We're going to eat dinner. And then we're going to go to bed. And it's going to be amazing. And then it rained. I didn't get to do any of it. But... My plan was to have this mini moment of this Sabbath rest because this is very important. Here's, here's what I've learned, that if you don't take a Sabbath, God will make you take a Sabbath. That if you don't take a break, you will break. That your life is going to begin to fall apart. You're going to get sick. You're going to get tired. That you're not going to have energy. You're not going to have emotion to be able to give yourself to anything. And so we need to take a step back. We need to pull back and we need to have these moments to where we can enter into Sabbath rest. And you know what I find amazing about Jesus? Is that Jesus is so tired. Guess what he does? He wakes up early. You're like, what? That doesn't even make sense. You're like, I'm so tired. I've got to get up at 5 a.m. You're like, how, how, does that, how does that even work? And that's because Jesus knew something that we don't. Jesus knew that, that he was empty. He needed to be filled back up. Jesus knew that his life was so busy that he didn't have time not to pray. Jesus knew that he was disconnected, and so he needed to get reconnected with God. And so Jesus, he starts his day, he starts it with prayer. And Jesus practices his spiritual disciplines. Now, some of you, you are awesome. You are awesome at the inward disciplines. You love the inward disciplines. You're like, my whole life, I like to journal, and I like to meditate, and I like to, I like to pray, I like to go for prayer walks and pick flowers, and I love the Sabbath. Oh, I take a Sabbath day, take a Sabbath week, take a Sabbath month. I love to work on the inward disciplines, okay? Do you know what, you know what it's called if all you do is the inward disciplines? It's called being lazy. That's exactly what you are. Jesus loves you, but the rest of us, we think you're lazy, and we're working overtime so you can get your spa day with Jesus, Okay, so if all you do is the inward disciplines, you need to put the book down, you need to get up, you need to get a job, you need to go out, and you need to actually start to do something because, well, the rest of us, we're just tired. Now, others of you, you are great at the outward disciplines. Okay, your whole life is just work, 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 go, 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 you know, do, 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 and eventually you're going to die, die, die because God has not created you to go 24 hours, seven days a week without a break. Okay, you need to step back and you need to take a break before you break. And some of you think, no, no, I did it like Jesus. No, you didn't. Because we see that's not the way that Jesus did it. That Jesus, he, he took a step back. That Jesus took a minute. He took a moment that he got alone with God and Jesus started his day with prayer. Okay, how many of you are feeling convicted right about now? Okay, good. The rest of you, I'm going to get you with the second point. Here's what Jesus says. He starts his day with prayer, and then the second thing he does is Jesus pursues his calling. Verse 36, and Simon, so that's Peter, that's Jesus' loudmouth leader of the disciples. He's the one who's great at the outward. He's not very good at the inward. This is, this is Peter. So Simon and those who are with them, they begin to search for him. So the disciples, they wake up early, okay, but not earlier than Jesus, and they see that Jesus is gone. Where did Jesus go? What is Jesus doing? Where is he at? We need to get up. We need to go find Jesus. Okay, this must be how moms feel, amen? I mean, moms, let's just be honest. This is, this is your life, okay? I mean, you're like, oh, you're going to take a shower? No, moms don't take showers. Oh, you're going to go eat lunch? No, you're going to watch me eat lunch because moms eat last. Oh, you're going to go to the bathroom? 
No. What are you trying to do? Get a minute to yourself. That's not going to happen. Oh, you're taking a nap? Well, me and my brother, we're going to get in a fight and we're going to interrupt your nap. Um, moms, okay, you're a lot closer to Jesus than the rest of us. And so moms, Jesus totally understands because this is the way that Jesus' life was. So Jesus, he gets up. He's like, I'm going to leave and nobody's going to know. And then Jesus slowly tiptoes out of the house. He goes out to the woods by himself and the disciples wake up and they're like, hey, where's Jesus at? We need to go find him. Well, verse 37, and they found him. You're like, oh crap, I just got a minute. Oh, no, okay, never mind. And they found him and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Hey, Jesus, what are you doing out here in the woods all by yourself? Oh, you're trying to get away from us? Huh, what are you doing praying? There's no time to pray. Right? What are you doing? We have so many things that we need you to do. We have so many activities on the list. We've got an agenda. that we have, a, we have an Excel spreadsheet. We have so many things planned for your day today. I mean, we know that you can heal. And so we decided we're going to start a hospital. We know that you can perform miracles. And so we went out. We bought a nice big circus tent. We got a little field. We're going to have miracle extravaganza palooza. People are coming from everywhere. We planned a conference. You're going to be the keynote speaker. We're going to plant the largest church that Galilee has ever seen. We know that you can cast out demons. So we hired a film crew. They're coming in from Hollywood. We're going to make a documentary. It's going to go viral. Jesus, this is going to be amazing. Jesus, what are you doing? Chop, chop. Jesus, this is your big day. Come on, Jesus. We got so much stuff we need you to do. Jesus says, no, I'm not doing those things. He says, that's not why I came. Jesus says, that's not my calling. See, Jesus knows the difference between his capabilities and his calling. And he doesn't get them confused. Jesus pursues his calling. He says, I'm not going to do that. And here's what he says instead. Let us go out into the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Jesus knows his calling is to be a preacher. That is why I came out. And he went all throughout of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Jesus pursues his calling over his capabilities. Jesus' calling was to be a preacher. The first words out of Jesus' mouth in Mark's gospel is the kingdom of God is at hand. He began to preach and to proclaim, and he said to repent and to believe, and Jesus comes. Jesus is called as a preacher. Jesus, he doesn't confuse his capabilities with his calling. And this section of scripture right here, it marks a transition throughout the rest of the gospel of Mark to where Jesus, he begins to travel and teach. He goes from synagogue to synagogue and city to city, and he has a teaching ministry where he preaches to large crowds. He meets in people's homes, teaches to community groups. He has some one-on-one interactions, and he has a lot of run-ins with the religious leaders, and they resist him, they oppose him, they hate him, and it's all because of his preaching. That it's not because of what Jesus does that they resist him. It's what Jesus says. That they resist him, oppose him, because Jesus was a preacher. And Jesus, he fulfills his calling, that he works towards this mission, and Jesus pursues what it is that God has called him to do. And Jesus says, I am a preacher. He says, I can do a lot of things, but this is the one thing. This is the one thing that God has called me to do. Don't confuse your capabilities with your calling. Jesus knows exactly what it is that he has been called to do. 
Okay, listen, just because you can do something, it doesn't mean that you should. Jesus could do lots of things, but he knows that he was called to do one thing. Just because you can do something, it doesn't mean that you should. This is the way that I lived my life for many years. And it almost killed me. Okay, you can ask my wife. She'll agree. I'm getting a little bit better at it. And with prayer, I think that I'm going to continue to get a little bit better at it. But for most of my life, I just didn't think that I had the ability to tell people no. Okay, and I would say yes to everything. How many of you are people pleasers? Wow. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Yeah, people pleasers. Okay, Jesus, not a people pleaser. Okay, me, total people pleaser. I mean, you could call me at 2 o'clock in the morning. You're like, hey, Byron, my car broke down. Can you come pick me up and give me a ride? And I was like, yes. And I'd just go and I'd pick people up. You're like, hey, you know, my website crashed. Can you build me a new one? Yes. By Friday? Yes. You're like, hey, my parents kicked me out of my house. Can I come stay at yours? Yes. Hey, can you buy me dinner? Yes. Hey, what are you doing on Wednesday night? Want to hang out? Yes. I mean, this is the way that I live my life. And I thought for the longest time, I just can't tell people no. And then I realized, no, I, I, I can tell people no. And I, actually, I tell people no all the time. The problem wasn't that I couldn't say no. The problem is I was saying no to the wrong things. You need to understand this, that every yes is also a no to something else. Every time someone would call and say, Byron, can you come pick me up? And I'd say, yes. You know who was alone? My wife and my little girl. Every yes is also a no. I didn't have a problem saying no. I just said no to the wrong things. That I thought, I have to do everything for everyone. And I missed out on the most important things for the most important of people. Every yes is also a no. Listen, God has not called you to do everything, but he has called you to do something. Some of you are like, no, no, I have to do everything. Okay, I have to do all the things. No, you don't. Right? There are other people in this world. Okay, it will get done. There are 2.5 billion Christians on this planet. Don't you think that God could ask one of them to do something? Okay, that's exactly the way it works. God's called them to do something. God's called you to do something. Whatever it is, you need to do, you need to do what that one thing is. That all God is asking of you is just to do one thing. Don't worry about everything. Just do the one thing that God has called you to do. And some of you are like, in this moment, in this season, I don't know what my one thing is. Okay, good. Then get alone with God in silence and solitude and prayer, and you'll emerge and you'll have an understanding of your calling. See, I don't think that Jesus would have had the ability to be able to discern what's right from what's right now if he wouldn't have got alone in prayer. I think it was that time of prayer that started his day that gave him the ability to have clarity and to discern what's right as compared to what's right now. See, many of us in our lives, we get so fixated and so focused on what's right in front of us that we miss out on what God wants to do through us. Because we're trying to do everything. Don't do everything. Do one thing. Just because you're called to do something, it doesn't mean that you should. Now, does Jesus heal? Yes, he still heals people. Does Jesus perform miracles? Yes. Does Jesus cast out demons? Yes. But all those things are a result of him pursuing his calling. 
that Jesus preaches, people get healed. Jesus teaches, miracles begin to happen. Jesus goes into a town, he begins to proclaim the kingdom of God, people get delivered. But those were a result of Jesus pursuing his calling. He didn't confuse his capabilities with his calling. God had one son and he made him a preacher. You are God's daughter and you are God's son and he has made you for a purpose, for a particular reason. He has gifted you. He has given you talents. He has given you abilities and he wants you to use them to further his mission and the kingdom of God. You need to be pursuing after your calling. Whatever it is, all of your energy, all of your effort, all of your intention, all of your time, you need to be focused and devoted to fulfilling whatever it is that God has called you to do in your life. When you know what it is, then you'll know what to do. And Jesus, he pursues his calling. He wakes up, he prays, he says, I'm a preacher. And he goes out and preaches. Is Jesus' day over yet? No. Because next, Jesus is going to perform a miracle. I mean, this is a crazy day, right? He's going to go and he's going to perform a miracle. And here's what we see. Verse 40, and a leper came to him, imploring and kneeling to him and said, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and he touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to a priest and offer for yourself a cleansing that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So Jesus, right, by now he's tired. Okay, he got up early, 5 a.m. While it was still dark, he goes out to the desolate place. He begins to pray. The disciples are like, Jesus, where are you at? Jesus, what are you doing? Knock, knock. Jesus, come on. we got stuff we got to do. And Jesus is like, nope, I'm going to go. And I'm going to go from town to town. I'm going to go from city to city. And I'm going to begin to preach in the different synagogues. And so Jesus is walking. Okay, and in that day, they didn't have cars. Okay, there wasn't a fixed gear bike that he could ride around on. They didn't have Uber. They didn't have public transportation. I mean, he's walking on foot. So it's hot outside. He's probably sweaty. He probably hasn't eaten yet. I mean, his day was just crazy and he was exhausted. And then all of a sudden, there's a leper. Okay, now this is important. Okay, because it says that the leper comes to Jesus. Okay, you need to know this. Lepers don't come to anyone. Lepers are nasty, they are filthy, that they are disgusting, they are dirty. A leper is unclean. And today we don't know much about lepers because in America, people don't suffer from this disease, but there are still places in the world where people do still suffer from this disease. And today it's known as Hansen's disease. And if a person has Hansen's disease, it, cause, it causes open sores to break out all over a person's body. And for this person, um, it's very painful. It's very debilitating sickness and disease. And these sores, as they open, they become infectious. They be become infected. That They begin to pus and to ooze. And it breaks out all over a person's body. And the sores, the nerves in the sores, um, the nerve endings in the sores become exposed. It leads to numbness and then extreme excruciating pain. You know, people can't um, you know, wear clothes. They can't bathe. I mean, it is just very difficult for a person to even begin to move. I mean, that is how painful it is. And as the disease spreads slowly through the body, it settles in the extremities like the fingers and the toes and a person's nose, and then body parts begin to fall off. Now, because of the numbness, if you hit it against something, the bones break, 
that your body begins to rot to where body parts eventually just, they begin to fall off. This is what happens when a person has leprosy. And it's also highly contagious. And, and because of this, they would make people who had leprosy to live outside of the city. That they weren't allowed to have communication or contact with people who were in civilization. I mean, they were outside, separated, segregated from the rest of the city. If you had leprosy, you were a social pariah. I mean, you were an outcast. You were the lowest of the low. Nobody knew you. Nobody cared about you. Nobody loved you. Nobody even knew your name. Your friends, they cut you off. Your family, you were just gone to them. I mean, you were totally isolated and you were alone. Josephus, the early church historian, says if a person has leprosy, that they are like the dead walking. I mean, to be a leper is basically to be a zombie. That you are, your life is over. Right? Your body begins to rot and to fall off and things begin to decay. I mean, that's how painful, that's how, that's, that's how debilitating this sickness is. In the book of Leviticus, it gives us a little bit more information about what the life of a leper looks like. In Leviticus 13 and 14, um, it says that if a person has leprosy, that they're to wear their clothes open so that everyone knows you have leprosy. Right? You can't hide. You can't, let, you can't let people think, no, he's going to be okay. Right? No, everyone knows that you have leprosy. Your hair is to be unkept, that it's to be in front of your face. It's to be worn long. You're not allowed to wash it. And then in addition to that, if anyone comes within 50 feet of you, you have to yell out as loud as you can, unclean, 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 unclean. To be a leper was to be lonely, to be loathsome. It was lowly. And here we see that a leper comes to Jesus. Do you know how amazing this is? Do you know how much this says about Jesus' love for you and your life? That a leper can come to Jesus? That the unclean can come to Jesus and Jesus makes them clean. I meet people all the time. They say, they say Byron, I can't come to Jesus after the things that I've done. That I can't go to Jesus after the things that I've said and the way that I live. I can't go to Jesus. I can't pray because, well, I got to do these things. I can't, can't go to church because I got to do these things. I, I can't go to community group because I got to get my life in order. I got to get myself cleaned up and then I'll come to Jesus. Do you know how insane you sound when you say that? Do you know how ridiculous that is? That's like saying, oh, I'm sick. I got to get well before I go to the doctor. I mean, it makes absolutely no sense because here we see that the unclean can come to Jesus and Jesus makes him clean. I'll read it again so you can get excited. Here's what it says. Okay, verse 40. Let's read it through read it again. And a leper, the sick, sore, the social outcast. Nobody loves you. Nobody cares for you. Nobody knows who you are. And a leper. Look, you notice this? It doesn't even say his name. That his sickness has become his identity. That the leper comes to Jesus and he's imploring him. That he's begging him. He is kneeling before him. He is pleading with him. He kneels. Do you know how hard it would be for a leopard to kneel? He doesn't have fingers. He doesn't have toes. His feet are deformed. He has no energy that his body is so depleted. His skin is falling off. He is rotting and he falls to his knees in front of Jesus, face down in the dirt. And he looks up with Jesus in desperation. And he says, if you will, 
you can make me clean. Okay, I want you to notice the wording here. He says, if you will, you can. Listen, he's, he doesn't doubt if Jesus can do it. He knows Jesus can because he's heard about it. He says, Jesus, I know you can heal. I've heard about your healings. He says, Jesus, I know you can do a miracle because I've heard about your miracles. Jesus, I know that you can do amazing things. I know that you can answer prayers. I know that you can do it. But he doesn't know if he is willing. He says, you can, but are you willing to do it? Do you see how defeated this man is in his life? Do you see how discouraged he must be? Do you see how lowly he would feel? He says, I know you can, but I don't know if you will. So will you? And Jesus responds. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and he touched him. This is scandalous. That Jesus would touch a leper. Nobody touches lepers especially teachers and rabbis, for fear that they would become unclean as well. But Jesus isn't afraid of becoming unclean. And what Jesus does is he stretches out his hands and he touches the leper. He lays hands on the leper. Jesus stretches out his hands and he said to them, I will be clean. That Jesus is able and Jesus is willing and Jesus, and immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to a priest, and offer for a cleansing what Moses commanded as a proof for them. This is a miracle. Okay, this isn't just a healing. Okay, this man wasn't only healed. The Bible says this man was cleansed. This is a total miracle. This is transformation. Can you just imagine the change that had to have happened in this man's life? I mean, from head to foot. He is a whole brand new person that Jesus cleanses him. I mean, what does that even look like? That his fingers begin to grow back. That his toes, they grew back. His nose grows back. That his skin is clear. That the disease is gone that his hair is washed. I mean, I think about it, his clothes are clean. He's cleansed. And then he stands up. He was kneeling, and then he stands up. That means he has strength back into his body. That means he has dignity. That means he has identity now. That means he has value. He has worth. That Jesus totally heals does a miracle, Jesus transforms, changes this man's life immediately, in a moment, in an instant. His life is changed. And do you know how much this says about God's love for your life? That this is the same thing that God does in your life. The prophet Isaiah, he compares leprosy to sin. That sin is to your soul what leprosy is to your body. That sin is the leprosy of your spirit. That it robs you, it wreaks havoc on your life. That sin, it separates you from God. 
that you cannot enter into the presence of God. You cannot experience the presence of God due to your sin, that you are separated from Him. You are isolated. You are not able to have true, joyful, meaningful relationships with other people that eventually it just destroys you and ultimately you will die because of sin. Friends, we are all lepers. That's who we are. We are all lepers. And Jesus cleanses the lepers. This is what Jesus does in our life. That Jesus cleanses the lepers. Some of you, you just feel as if you're a leper. Jesus cleanses. Sin removed. Shame removed. Guilt removed. Condemnation removed. Worthlessness removed. Identity restored. Your life is changed. Jesus renews us. He redeems us. He restores us. Jesus, He makes us whole. And this is the most amazing, greatest miracle in the world. Not that a leper could be healed, but that a sinner can be saved. That God's hand would stretch out from heaven to earth into your heart. That He will love you. He will care for you. He will renew you. He will redeem you. He will restore you. And He will give you value, identity, dignity. He will give you worth. And that Jesus will totally transform your life immediately. This is the greatest miracle. And many of us, we live our lives like these lepers. Now, we know that Jesus can, but we don't know if Jesus will. Jesus, I know you can do it. I've seen you do it for other people, but I don't know if you will do it for me. Jesus, I know you can heal because I've seen it, I've heard about it, but I don't know if you will. Jesus, I know you can do a miracle. But I don't know if you'll do a miracle in my life. Jesus, I know you can change people's lives. But I don't know if you will change mine. Jesus, I know you can bring restoration to a marriage. I don't know if you will do it in mine. Jesus, I know you can deliver people from addiction. But I don't know if you will deliver me from mine. And many of us, we live our lives like we are the leper. And we walk around all day feeling unclean, 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 unclean. And Jesus says, you're clean. You're clean. You're clean. Jesus says, you're clean. Get up. You have a new life now. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus does. And what I love so much about Jesus, as if I needed another reason, is you notice that he, Jesus doesn't say, oh no, a leper. He doesn't say, I don't have time for this. Jesus, he doesn't say, oh, this, oh, I don't think I can handle that. Jesus doesn't say, you know what, I've been up early. Could you just make an appointment with my secretary? We'll worry about this next week. I'll get around to it whenever I can. That's not what Jesus does. 
But what Jesus does instead is he takes time. He makes time so that he can spend time with a leper. No matter who you are, where you're at, or what you're going through, Jesus always has time for you. Whatever you're working through, not bigger than him. Whatever you're going through, not bigger than him. Jesus always has time for you. That he loves you, he cares for you, he listens to your prayers, and he is there. And Jesus is not only able, but he is also willing. Because that's who Jesus is. So is Jesus day over? No. Not yet. He's got one more thing he has to do. Number four, Jesus prays to close his day. Verse 45, but he being the leper, he went out and began to talk freely about it. So he's telling everyone, here's what Jesus has done. Look what Jesus did for my life. Look how Jesus healed me. He did a miracle. He, he changed my life. And he tells everyone about Jesus. And he begins to spread the news. What I find amazing is that Jesus heals the guy and he says, okay, I'm going to heal you, but don't tell anyone. And then he goes out and tells everyone. And then Jesus performs the greatest miracle in our life and he says, go tell everyone. And then we don't tell anyone. Okay, just an observation. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so Jesus, he says, don't tell anyone. The guy leaves, he goes and tells, here's what Jesus did. Jesus did a miracle. Sounds like a good day. Right? At least it was for the leper. Was it a good day for Jesus? No. It was, a, it was a pretty difficult day for Jesus' life. Why? Because now he could no longer openly enter into a town. Everybody knows about Jesus. They're pushing, they're pulling, they're making requests, they're making demands. Everyone is just pulling on Jesus' life and he is no longer able to enter into a town. So where does he go? When life gets difficult, where did Jesus go? He goes back to the desolate place. Now Jesus closes his day with prayer. And it says that people were coming to him from every quarter. Jesus' day ends the same way that it begins. With people pushing and pulling and making requests and making demands on his life. Jesus, you need to do this. Jesus, you need to do that. Jesus, where are you at? Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus, I need you to come and do these things. You need to do everything that I'm asking you to do. And Jesus is just in, under constant pressure, experiencing problems, and there are people all around him. That his calendar is being filled up, that his life is being emptied, that his world is getting smaller and smaller as the demands and the list keeps getting longer and longer, and as the more complicated and busy and tired and the more difficult Jesus' life is, where does Jesus go? He goes and he prays. That when life is difficult, Jesus, he gets alone and he prays. So my question for you is, when life gets difficult, where do you go? Okay, now, if you were like me, I'll tell you where I go. Prayer tends to be the last place I go. Okay, prayer tends to be the last place. I'll do all these things before I go to God. The more busy life is, the less I spend time reading my Bible. The more complicated life gets, okay, community group doesn't seem all that important to me anymore. 
Practicing my spiritual disciplines goes out the window. The busier I get, the less time I get alone with God. Now, we all know that the opposite is true, amen? That what we should be doing is exactly the opposite. That we are too busy not to pray. Listen, life is too hard for you not to pray. Life is too complicated for you to not pray. Life is too difficult for you to not pray. You are too busy to not pray. Jesus' day ends the same way that it begins, and Jesus, he prays. So I love you. I care for you. I want to be able to help and serve. And so what I want you to do this week is I'm going to leave you with four questions for you to pray about. Okay, because remember, the Christian life is not just to be studied. It's to be lived. That Jesus' day is to be a model, a template, and a guide for our life. That we need to learn from Jesus so we can live a life like Jesus. And that we're not just to admire who Jesus is, we are to experience the life that Jesus has for us. And so I want to leave this with you so you can pray and you can get time, you can write it out, you can get with your family, maybe over dinner, you can get with your community group and you can talk about your answers to these questions. But I have four questions that I want to give you this week so you can pray about. And the first question is this, how is your prayer life? Okay, if you're like me, it's not very good. Okay, let's just be honest. Everyone can say, like, do you pray as much as you should? No one's going to be like, yes, I pray more than I should. Okay, nobody's not going to say that. But we need to be honest with ourselves and we need to think, how is your prayer life? Okay, I know a lot of us, we're not very good at praying. Okay, and here's what I tell people all the time. If you can't pray for five minutes, then pray for four. But we need to be spending time with the Lord in prayer. So we want to help. So what we've done this week is we made a blog um, on the website that we're going to share about prayer. And we're going to do some prayer points on our Connect page, so get connected in that. And then me and Crystal, our deacon of women's ministry, we're going to do a Facebook Live throughout the week, and we're going to talk about some of these different spiritual disciplines because we really do want to help you to pray. But I need you just to ask this question. How is your prayer life? And then the second is, what is your calling? What is the one thing that God has called you to do? That's what it is that you need to be doing. What is the one thing? God hasn't called you to do everything. He has called you to do something. So what is the one thing that God has called you to do? That's what you need to be working on. And some of you think, okay, well, what about family? What about kids? What about work? What about college? Okay, those are great things. You need to do those things, right? If I get anyone's like, well, Byron said do my one thing, so I quit my job and I left my family. Like, wrong, (laughs) right? We're going to have a bad day of church discipline if that's what happens, okay? But outside of those things, okay, what is the one thing that God is asking you to do in this moment in this season of your life. That's what it is that you need to be doing. So what is your calling? Some of you would say, I don't know what my calling is. That's okay. Get along with God in silence, solitude, and prayer. Work on number one, and you'll figure out number two. Okay? So how's your prayer life? What is your calling? The number three, what's keeping you from Jesus? Now, if the leper can beg and scrape and kick and claw and make his way to Jesus, you can too. If the leper can do it, trust me, you can do it. What is it that is keeping you away from Jesus? What is preventing you from spending time with him? What is preventing you from going to him? Is it your sin? Is it your shame? Is it your guilt? Is it your condemnation? Whatever it is, Jesus cleanses it. That Jesus cleanses the leper. And so what is it that is keeping you away from Jesus? And then lastly, number four, how is your prayer life? Seriously. Okay, what robs you? What distracts you? What prevents you 
from spending time alone with the Lord. Okay, you say, but Byron, my life is so busy. I'm so tired. I agree with you that you're tired. And so you need to get some rest. That your life is busy and you're so busy, you don't have time not to pray. How is your prayer life? Seriously. And here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus lived his life just like us. That Jesus only had so much time in his day. Jesus had 24 hours, 1,440 minutes, and 86,400 seconds. Jesus had to wake up. He had to go to sleep. Jesus had to get rest. Jesus had to, he had to go to work. Jesus had 24 hours, 1,444 minutes, and 86,400 seconds. And Jesus lived every single one of those, intentionally invested, making the most of every moment, every minute, every opportunity in his day. And you've been given just as much time in your day. And I want you to make the most of it. I want you to live your life like Jesus so you can live your life for Jesus. We only have so much time, so we need to make every day count. And it starts and it ends with prayer. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.